Mathimo Sasana on SAFM. We continue with our thinking point this morning and we're looking in particular at the high unemployment rate and its impact towards women and uh, black women in particular. The latest figures showing that, uh, again, black women remaining the most vulnerable when it comes to joblessness. Uh, let's uh, take you now to Dr. Ntabiseng Muliko, who is a commissioner at the Commission for Gender Equality. Dr. Muliko, good morning to you and thanks for your time this morning. Morning, Kathy, and thank you so much for having me. Look, it comes as no surprise that women and black women specifically remain at the bottom in as far as the lack of opportunity when it comes to jobs. Given, you know, we saw under COVID-19 just how bad a position black women were in by all the research that was done by, that showed the extent to which their livelihoods had been compromised. So so I, I take it it's not really surprising that after the release of these latest figures, they again show that that position is not changing. I think, uh, Cathy, uh, to uh, stress the point, um, the structural changes that would increased labor absorption in the economy, primarily affecting both the youth and women, and in particular black women because uh, they have been disenfranchised historically in terms of access to all factors of production and just participation in the general economy. This has simply continued, but not only continued, if you look at the labor force survey results, the gap between uh, male and female unemployment since 2008 have consistently been at least 3 to 5% gap, which means that generally speaking, what you have seen as a growing trend is that unemployment for females is higher than that of males across the board. Unemployment for youth who are women is the worst, uh, and particularly for youth generally in this country. So this has not changed. It's not necessarily something new. It's simply been ignored. And from a policy perspective, we haven't seen really targeted interventions to try and target both youth unemployment, but also female and black African women unemployment uh, because of some of these structural drivers that are problematic. I think the other aspect, what you're seeing is that unemployment in the provinces that have what I'd call economic uh, deserts that could actually flourish from a, from, from a perspective of the land that they have available and some of the natural resources, Northern Cape, Bumalanga, Limpopo, and Eastern Cape, these contribute to the very high level of unemployment, where you see unemployment rates of expanded definitions over 50% in this quarter. So that means more than half the people in that population are not working, and it affects women generally because we have a slightly high proportion of women in the population to men. Mm. So you see these trends continuing unabated, uh, in the economy of, of, of South Africa. We know that the women of this country are incredibly industrious. And while they may not have employment in the formal sector, let's talk about what's happening in the informal sector and how it is that people are, are going about to try and make ends meet. Well, if you look at the uh, labor statistics, they talk to where the contributing sectors are to employment. Uh, they talk to manufacturing, construction, utilities being the big contractors. So you're seeing across the board for those three that I've mentioned, which are labor-absorptive sectors, around between two 
percent contraction construction all the way to 14 percent utilities and manufacturing at a negative six what you see surprisingly is that private households are employing more people than trade more people than agriculture and more people than community and social services uh, possibly speaking to this issue that you're talking about of uh, the informal sector and the activity around the informal sector we know that our people, particularly who are not in the mainstream economy, have tried to make ends meet, and, and, and primarily if they're not skilled, and which is a large bulk of the unemployed and the discouraged workforce, are either um, not skilled and working from home, or they are working in an informal economy mm-hmm. uh, whereby they're trying to make ends meet. So you do see that some employment around... Uh, Six percent or so comes from the informal, 18 percent to be correct. Six uh, percent comes from agriculture, but informal sector employment at around 18 percent contribution, uh, which is quite significant. Usually in African economies, you see that much higher because of the contribution of the informal sector to the proportion of the whole. So you see that there is quite a significant uh, informal sector economy, but the employment contribution is less than 3 million at 2.6. Mm-hmm. So in terms of its contribution to employment is 18%. The private household is 8% at 1.3. So it's less than 4 million house people employed in both your informal and private households. So what you should be seeing, and I think for, for us, is the formal sector employment is usually the largest contributor of employment, uh, but it's actually contracting. Quarter on quarter, you're seeing continuing blood uh, bloodshed of jobs in manufacturing and in construction. But what we do know from research, Cathy, is that there are sectors uh, that can actually absorb women in higher proportion in the manufacturing sector. Plastics is an example. Chemicals is an example. Also youth. So you've got to look at interventions that target sectors that are labor absorptive, but also can deal with some of these structural problems that we are seeing. Even in the informal sector, you've got to look at some of these economic infrastructure that women that are in the informal sector would probably need. Microfinance is one of them. Uh, you know, economic infrastructure in municipal areas, enabling sure. traders to store, mm. you know, warehousing uh, uh, capacity in municipalities so they don't have to move their goods every day. Uh, safety and security being a primary one given the level of violence against women. So some of these are key soft enablers that could be put in place to try and ensure that those uh, 18% employed in that informal economy actually retain those jobs. We'll continue the conversation with Dr. Moliko. She's a commissioner at the Commission for Gender Equality. We're looking at the gendered nature of the economy and the way in which women and black women in particular continue to be the most vulnerable when it comes to uh, the rate of joblessness and unemployment in this country. Luyanda Maume is standing by with a look at your 930 News headlines. We continue the conversation on the talking point this morning, and I would really love to hear um, from women themselves about the experience that you are having when it comes to uh, employment, whether you are working or you are trying to find work, and perhaps also just some of the alternative streams of income that you are pursuing to try and make ends meet again because we know just how difficult 
things have been. And, and we're looking at the unemployment figures through the lens of the gendered economy that we live in and how it disproportionately affects the women of this country. We'll take your calls on 011-714-2006. That's the number to dial this morning on the WhatsApp line 0614-104-107. And on Twitter, it's at SFM Radio, the hashtag there, SAFM Talking Point. Dr. Ntabiseng Moleko is a commissioner at the Commission for Gender Equality. Dr. Moleko, let's talk about then what needs to be done to close this gap because you've also looked at the figures by bodies such as the World Economic Forum that are projecting that, you know, it's going to take at least 136 years to close the global gender gap when it comes to employment. Now, women don't have 136 years to wait before Mm. there is a level of equal access to opportunity. Well, that's definitely true. It would be after our lifetime uh, that we reach that target. So, listen, I think countries have shown us that uh, economic transformation can occur within a lifetime of a generation, 50 years being really the target. So if we were to start now to put in place targets for economic transformation and also structural uh, change, which, which talks to, for me, the nature of the production structure of the economy, and we really focus on increasing the contribution of our output from manufacturing, industry, production, and also agriculture, because these are labor-intensive sectors, uh, we would really start to see uh, a big shift. I think the underpinning issues here, what can be done? One, let's encourage our young people to go back to basics, do maths and science. Let's encourage young women, school children to do maths and science. Why am I saying that, Kathy? One, uh, this is a short to meet, this is a medium to long term solution. Many of our plumbers, artisans, vocational sector skills are going to actually be in short supply, projected in the long run. Uh, we are not seeing an increase in our output or throughput from our schooling system in terms of increasing our proportion of young people and adequately to support the growth, tra- growth trajectory of South Africa. I know we've got an infrastructure plan of a trillion that we're trying to raise. Uh, government has committed $100 billion over the next uh, decade. Who's mm. going to build? Who's going to put tiles in those places, the doors? Those are carpenters. Those are painters. Uh, those are artisans. In order for you to become an artisan, you need vocational skill. Now let's go to what can be done now. I think in the immediate, you can tailor products that enable small, medium enterprises to enter into the different markets. The government plays a key role here using the public procurement purse uh, to enforce transformation, but also to meet their targeted 40% allocation. And I think these are some of the low-hanging fruits that can improve accessibility for women entrepreneurs into the economy. And we know that SMEs are the backbone of the economy, but South Africa has a massive concentration index uh, in all sectors where you have three or four companies controlling the vast majority of the market share, over 70% in most sectors. Uh, and, and this is a problem because it means SMEs are squeezed out. They cannot pay. They either last for two years and then they exit. They're not sustainable in the long run. So they've got to change the market structure. I think the third thing that we could look at is our economic strategy. Is it sufficiently underpinned by productivity? 
industrialization and rural development. We always talk about these things, but when we look at the results, every quarter we see manufacturing is contracting, we see manufacturing is shedding jobs, we see utilities and construction is, con is contracting, and we see them shedding jobs, much more than the services and the other sectors. Uh, agriculture may have performed quite highly in the last two to three years, and we're seeing it on an uprise, but who is the owner of those? And it's usually big farmers, commercial farmers, so our growth model is really underpinned by a few companies that control the vast majority of South Africa's market share in those sectors. And this type of growth model inhibits dealing with unemployment, inhibits new entrance into the economy, and inhibits us dealing with the issue of lack of access for uh -huh. the majority of our black South Africans. And in particular, we're seeing with the results now, black South African, African women. So I think these are some of the long-term, short-term, and immediate things that can be done. But this is not something that we need to wait, you know, 136 years for. Uh, we can do a lot of these things now. We can tailor access to financial capital now. We can ensure that uh, preferential procurement is targeted to black Africans and looking at women in particular, ethnic. Uh, we can ensure that uh, government and its public purse of over one uh, trillion is used to transform the economy more decisively. All so right. these are things that can be done, and it's not wish list, uh, so to speak. Dr. Ntabiseng Moleko, let's leave it there for this morning, Commissioner at the Commission for Gender Equality. And having this conversation reminds me of um, one of the callers we had. Was it Monday? Lerotodi, who said that um, that the Ramaphosa administration was an, 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 an administration that favoured women. That you know, women were being given preferences. Women were were thriving, being chosen above men. Lerotodi, more facts, more facts to show that that is not the case. It's simply not true.